Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I am your host, Doris Hansen. We want to thank you for joining our discussion as we talk about the Mormonism through which G- Joseph Smith first introduced polygamy into the uh, American culture. Our returning guest for our show this time was an active member of the LDS Church for two decades, but he has come to see the beauty of the simplicity of being a follower of Jesus Christ instead of being a member of a church. He's a practicing dentist in Southern California and is active member in a local church there. He reaches out to Mormons who are transitioning from religion into biblical Christianity and helps them walk the road that he's already traveled. We're discussing his book, Starting at the Finish Line, which records his story as he transitioned from the religion of Mormonism into the victory and the promised rest of the Jesus of biblical Christianity. So I would like to welcome back and introduce our guest tonight again, John Wallace. Thank you, Doris. Thank you, John, for Thanks coming for back. And, and we've been having some good discussions our last two yeah, shows. We sure have. On your book. And we hope to kind of wind it up tonight, although there's so much information in the book, we, we <coughs> hardly can get through it all. And, and we urge our viewers to get a copy and to read the entire thing for ourselves. And again, we want our polygamous viewers to know that the basics and the questions and the doubts all remain the same mm-hmm. uh, because it's the same foundation, whether it's the polygamy group or the LDS church. So, first of all, will you again tell our viewers where they can get a copy of your book? Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. I have a website. It's called StartingAtFinishLine.com. That's available. And there are a number of uh, Christian bookstores in Utah, Idaho, and Southern California where they can get it as well. Where they can get your book. That's great. And it's a great book to read. I heartily recommend it for anyone thinking of or having already left either the LDS Church or... Uh, a Mormon fundamentalist polygamy group. Now we've been talking a lot about the differences and and, and, and your book is written to LDS friends, people in the Mormon religion and friends. And so one of the controversial uh, doctrines that Mormonism has uh, that maybe they would find repugnant maybe with uh, Christianity is a, a deathbed. Um, conversion. Mm -hmm. They don't believe in deathbed conversions. I want to quote from your book on page 126 and 127 where you talk about uh, a deathbed conversion and so I do quote, the deathbed repentance is so repugnant to most Mormons why should I work hard my entire life, sacrifice of myself and my resources, deny myself through strict obedience to God's commandments just to see some knucklehead come to his senses at the last moment and repent of his sins? Yeah, that's and, right. and you mentioned yeah. in there that the interaction with the thief is more disturbing to them than, than Jesus' interaction with the woman who was taken in adultery. Yeah. So would you give us some insight of how the thief was saved at yeah. the last minute. Yes, very good, Doris. Well, first of all, getting back to the woman that's caught in adultery, I, I think for the Latter-day Saint, there's still hope that maybe she does go on to live a really good life. Because Jesus says, I, I forget, I, I neither do I no condemn, more. go and yeah. sin no more. Well, maybe she pulls it off. We're okay there. But what about the thief on the cross? 
who looks at Jesus and says, uh, recognizes him as the king that he is, and he says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today, verily, today, I will see you in paradise. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, to the Christian, it's a beautiful story. Yes. Because the, the fact is, Jesus, as God, the Son, is able to look right into this man's heart. He sees exactly what he needs to see, which is a penitent heart and a recognition of the Savior of the world. And mm -hmm. he's asking for forgiveness. And Jesus says, you said the magic words, so to speak. Oh, so to speak, yes. The problem is, if, if repentance is a six-step process, as, as uh, the miracle of forgiveness lays out, how is this guy ever going to get off the cross and, and do those things, such as make restitution for the things that he's done wrong? So, therefore, the Mormon construct is he'll get an opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel at a later date in spirit prison. Hence, paradise now becomes spirit prison, where presumably two Mormon missionaries would then share the, share the, gospel, the gospel with him. But the <clears> fact <throat> of the matter is, and, and, and that's understandable if salvation is a combination. I mean, you look at the third article of faith. We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved comma, by obedience to the laws and by ordinances obedience. of the gospel. Well, how is he going to obey the laws and ordinances of the gospel? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. But on the other hand, Jesus addressed this perfectly and beautifully in Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the laborers, where to make a long story short, and I'm sure my viewers are familiar with this, you've got some guys that are working out in the hot sun for like 12 hours and some of them working for nine hours and six and three. And finally, a group of men that work exactly one hour out mm -hmm. in the hot sun. But when the foreman goes to pay them, he pays them all the same. They all receive one denarius. And so the guys that work for 12 hours, they go, wait a minute, that's not fair. But remember, the landowner says, have I dealt with you unfairly? Did you not agree to work all day for a denarius? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that what just happened? Yeah. But here, these, these guys only did the one hour. See, that's the thief on the cross. Uh -huh. What did he do? He didn't work as hard. And, and, I, and we're not going to argue that. But the, the owner says, I have not dealt with you unfairly. Are you envious? Is your eye envious because I am generous to these guys? It's my money. I'll mm -hmm. do whatever I want. And Jesus begins it by saying, the kingdom of heaven is, is like this. Mm -hmm. And that's true because, and it's God's heaven. And if he wants he to, to rules, if he yeah. wants to let people in heaven by grace, yeah. then he's going to let. First Peter three nine. God first, wishes that none. He wants everybody right. to come to repentance and, and come to heaven. Now, last time we talked about everybody is equal. We're all in equal position before God. We're all sinners. Yeah, we're and equally, all uh, equally sinners, and we all need a savior. And Mormonism has invented, invented, like you said, laws and ordinances which are to be obeyed, and usually will result in a false sense of worthiness. Mm, no doubt. Do you think? that this illusion of worthiness sets them up for a false sense of superiority uh, I will and favor speak, with God? I will speak for myself, and I'm, I'm probably the prototype. I, I was the most arrogant. I'm naturally arrogant anyway, but my, my adherence to Mormon law really was the cherry on top. I wore my garments day and night. I did not drink or uh, alcohol or smoke cigarettes. I paid a full tithing. We were flat broke. But I, I tied 10% of our meager <laughs> money. And uh, we were in church every Sunday. I was the eldest quorum president. I always did my home teaching. I made sure we had 100% home teaching. And on and on it went. Uh -huh. Look at me. Look at me, you see. See, for a guy like me, a young me, why on earth would I cry out for a savior when, and I'll be very honest with you, this is extreme. I think it's even extreme by Mormon standards. But my thought, Doris, was... If I can keep doing good like this, doing well, just one less person for Jesus to worry about. Why should I burden oh him? Oh, well, I'm dead serious. I had that thought many times. Oh, I never my. shared with anybody. And when I do share it, they tend to react like you just did. 
But why would I cling to a savior when I'm doing a pretty good job myself? And ultimately, isn't that really the Mormon concept that I'm saved by the blood of Jesus because when I do goof, I'm invited into the repentance club. I can call upon the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But as it says in 2 Nephi, we are saved by grace after all we can do. Now, there's some debate as to what exactly that means, but I think it's fairly clear that it's Jesus plus. Jesus did his part. We've got to do ours. Yeah, right. And and actually, we like we talked last time, Jesus did our part because he, he did, didn't have that, a, a part right. that needed to be that's done. Right. In the margin of page 141, you wrote, and I quote, the most consequential irony of them all is that we must accept that our debt to God was paid in full or we pay the ultimate price. Now, the message of your book is it is finished and we talked about that last time. The debt of our sin has been paid. So we either accept that or we reject or we try to add to it. But God won't allow any right. any of that. So what is that ultimate price that you referred to? Thank you, Doris. Um, Paul lays it out in Galatians chapter 5. The entire letter to the Galatians. And I would encourage all of my LDS viewers to, to just read the book of Galatians. It's, it's beautiful and it's hard-hitting. Because in chapter mm-hmm. 5, Paul says, look. I know that some of you are subjecting, grown men subjecting themselves to circumcision and and several other outward acts of obedience in order mm-hmm. to be saved. And now, Paul's, that was a religious law. The circumcision was a religious it, law, a lot of medical out. deal. But these were Christians. These were, these were newly minted sort of believers in Jesus as Messiah mm-hmm. that were still subjecting themselves because that's what the Judaizers the asked them to do yeah. to, for circumcision. So Paul says, I warn you, I warn you, if you do that, if you subject yourself to circumcision, you are severed from Christ. You are, first of all, you are obligated to obey the whole law. Yeah. Lots of luck with that one. Notice he doesn't say you're going to hell. He says, if you're going to go to heaven, it's because you will have obeyed the law perfectly. You who are seeking to be justified by works or by your own flesh, Mm -hmm. you are severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. The ultimate price in answer to your question is you will have fallen from grace. You will have to stand before God and say, I did it. I did it. I did it perfectly. Okay, come on in. Yeah. And what, who, even uh, outside of Mormonism, but certainly even within Mormonism, who can say, I did it. I really did do it. And you know, I heard someone say, and this is such a good point, that the only human being that has ever lived on this planet actually got into heaven on his own worthiness. Yeah. And that was Jesus. That's right. Because you have to be absolutely, totally perfect or you don't do it on works. That's right. Otherwise, Paul's saying, and later he says, hey, look, circumcision is neither here nor there. It's it's neither right. good nor bad. Right. It's not about that. It, but it is about being able to shun. Remember Philippians chapter 3? We talked about this last time. And that is, I, I, I have got to consider my righteousness as complete the King James Version says dung. Yes, it does. The, 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 my um, New American Standard says um, calls it garbage or mm-hmm. rubbish. Mm-hmm. rubbish. I've got to consider all my works to be complete, a, de- a detriment to me, so that I can receive Christ yeah, and be found Christ. in Him. Okay, I want to quote from page 144 of your book. And it says, quote, Jesus Christ suffering and dying on the cross is God's great masterpiece. It is the central event in human history and the Father's ultimate display of his awesome love. Christ's sacrifice is perfect, exactly as it is. We don't add to it, we don't subtract from it, we don't alter it, and we don't question its perfection, sufficiency, or simplicity, end quote. Now, on, in chapter 16, page 143, you, you entitled it, With Apologies to Nephi. 
What are you apologizing well, hey, uh, to uh, Nephi yes, about? Uh, thank you for allowing me to clarify. <laughs> if there really were a Nephi, and if I had a, a minute with him, because in Second Nephi twenty five twenty three it says, "For we, we know that it, we are we, it is by grace we are saved. After all, we can do." And what I'm saying is, sorry, uh, uh, Nephi, you got it dead wrong. <laughs> you got it wrong. You got it dead wrong. Because the fact is, we are only saved when we accept that there is nothing that we can do, mm-hmm. and so it is totally antithetical. To the the book of that passage is antithetical to the new covenant of the of the New Testament. It absolutely and so totally either is. the Book of Mormon is true, or the Bible is true, but they cannot both be true. You can't be both be true. Now Moroni in chapter ten says as his send off, if you can uh, remove uh, cleanse yourself of all ungodliness, then the blood of Jesus will be applied to you. But I'm thinking, well, if I can you cleanse can myself that. of all unrighteousness, what do I need Jesus's blood for? That's if exactly that gets back right. to the, my arrogance as a young man, I got this. And, I'm and, getting there. And, and you know, they're they're starting to even bring grace more into their talks oh, and sure. their discussions. But we still have to bring out the verse in 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 the scriptures that says you cannot mer- mix grace and works. It's either all grace or all works, but you don't get to mix the two together. Right, because the mixing of the two means whether you. What, and I've never really met a Mormon that knows that this is what they're they doing. They don't even really know what grace is, to be honest with you. You're right, Doris. But the fact of the matter is, by saying, I need to help Jesus, along, I'm going I'm to do my part, uh-huh. what you're saying, subconsciously or otherwise, is the blood of Jesus is insufficient to save me. It mm-hmm. wasn't good enough. That's I've right. got to do my part. That's right. And he did it all. To tell us, die, he did it all. Yeah. It is counterintuitive, because in life, you've got to make the grade. You've got to show up for work. Mm-hmm. You've got to hit the ball. You got to make the basket. That that's how it works in this life. And I always tell my Mormon friends, I listen, you guys. The gospel of grace is totally counterintuitive to human nature. It I is. get that. I'm totally not is. saying that you're going to go. Oh, that makes perfect sense. No, it does not. But we receive it on faith because that's what God says, and that's mm-hmm. His promise. And we're not talking about fairness either on this. And we're not talking about the earth either. We're talking about eternal life in heaven. Eternal life. Yeah. Okay, on page 160, I want to quote. Three things change the moment we receive Christ as Lord and Savior and are born again of God's Spirit. First, our legal standing with God changes. Second, our relational standing with God changes. And third, an inherent change occurs within us as the Holy Spirit literally comes in to dwell in our hearts, end quote. So unless these changes take place in a person's life, there is really no salvation experience. Now, we can't see the first two things. But we can see the third change. Yeah, that's right. That change. Good point. Um, You know, I think it was Jonathan Edwards. uh, I could be wrong, but I think it was Jonathan Edwards that wrote that when we are, when the Holy Spirit comes in us and resides within us, the oughts, O-U-G-H-T-S, the oughts of of God become the wants of our heart. Before I was born again, I, I... for me to obey God, I mean, I'll try, man, but I, I just always slip right back to my knuckleheadedness. It never came naturally to me to obey God or even want to. Yeah. Now, although certainly I, I'm as sinful as anybody else I know, I want to obey God. I really want to. And when I don't, I go, oh, man. <laughs> and when I obey my own flesh, I go, that, that's not right. And I just immediately want to get back to that close fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh, so that's yeah. the difference. It doesn't yeah. mean we don't sin, but no. we ought to be sinning but less and less over time. Difference. There's but such and, a difference. And that's yeah. what we call sanctification. Now, for the Latter-day Saint to look at a Christian that also sins, they might be tempted to say, well, you say you're born again, but you're still a sinner. We should say, yeah, you're absolutely right. But it is this desire in my heart to, over time, to be uh, step by step, to become, uh, uh, to have the characteristics of Christ overlaid onto me. 
-hmm. And that, that's a lifelong process. I want to quote uh, what you quoted in your book, one of my very <coughs> favorite passages. It's Ezekiel chapter 38, 36, mm -hmm. verses 26 through 27, which kind of fits in with what we've been discussing right here. But it says, quote, Moreover, I will give you, this is God's promise, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Mm -hmm. Now, this is kind of a spiritually performed heart transplant. No doubt. And you pointed out the words, cause you. I will cause yeah. you. It's his Holy Spirit working in us that causes us to obey God. So God is working in yeah. us to be obedient to him. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 2 where it says, uh, work out your salvation with fear exactly. and trouble. Exactly. But, but you got to keep going because in verse 13 it says, for it is God who is at work in, in you, you uh, to do and to will according to his that's good right. pleasure. So even when you think you're doing better, it's actually God that's working in you. Oh, okay. So it's not about me. That's so it right. takes it's God to you. live the Christian yeah. life. God working through us to live the Christian life because we can't do it. All like I know that. is before November 6th, 2004, which is the moment my entire life changed, I was addicted to money and wealth building. Uh, life was a battle and I had constant anxiety. And number three, I had no interest in the things of God in terms of, you know, the Bible and all that stuff. You know, I was going to church, but yeah, I wasn't deeply contemplating these things. And in a moment, in a moment, it was a flash. All three of those things were completely turned around. I loved God's word. I had no more interest in wealth or wealth building. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, and I didn't want to live for myself. And I saw life as just a blessing, not a battle. Yeah. How yeah. do you explain that? Uh, uh, only because of uh, what God is doing and is working That's in right. us, of course. Um, often when we're talking with fundamentalists about being born again, mm -hmm. a huge disapproving frown actually will visibly express contempt for that idea. Mm. And yet Jesus himself said, yeah. we must be born again. The word must be important if Jesus yeah. said it. So the fact is that Jesus said it was important. Do the LDS also repel from that phrase like the polygamist you know, did? In, in uh, Mormon doctrine, uh, Bruce R. McConkie redefines being born again, which means you're baptized into the Mormon church by those that have authority, and then you have the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's being, That's born, being of the, born again of the water and of the Spirit. Uh -huh. But Jesus compares it to the wind blowing. Right. And right. Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Yeah, You're a teacher of Israel. Understand. Why would he compare it to the wind blowing if it weren't mysterious and mm -hmm. ethereal? It's the mm -hmm. work of the Holy Spirit. It's, That's how the Holy Spirit. And we don't know how the Holy Spirit works, but but it, like we but were we just talking, see the effects. we can see the effects of it, and that, exactly. that's the key. And, and, and the next uh, analogy that you used in your book, what I thought was absolutely wonderful, will help explain this further. And it's on page 166, where you talk about being able to golf like Tiger Woods golfs. Yeah. And, or Tiger Woods being able to golf through you. Yes. So explain that analogy. Well, to me, religion is you go away for a three-day golf weekend with Tiger Woods, one-on-one, -on -one, and he teaches you all the... I'm a fairly decent golfer, but I, I'm pretty sure three days with Tiger Woods would improve my game dramatically. But at the end of three days, would I be able to golf just like Tiger Woods or, or uh, Rory McIlroy or any of these guys? Of course not. That's ridiculous. However, Paul says... In Galatians, he says, it's really no longer I that live, but it's it's Christ that lives in me. Lives in because me. the alternative, what if somehow, mysteriously, uh, Tiger Woods could sort of enter into me and, and all of a sudden, everything I do, every drive, every putt, everything that I do on the golf course is actually Tiger 
living in me and through me, engulfing through me. Well, well, now I can go like that. (laughs) And that's God's promise. That's Uh why Jesus said when he departed, he said, look, I know it sounds crazy, but after I leave, it's actually better. I can send you the the comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's better for Mm -hmm. you. Why? Because Jesus walks alongside and and talks things over with the 12, but eventually the Holy Spirit comes in and then we see what happens. They they turn the world upside down. That's right. And that's God living, God, the Holy Spirit living in me. In living in all believers, all those who have given their lives to Jesus and accepted his free gift of salvation. Now, that's, of course, a whole different concept. We, we don't try, try, try like, um, like religion do, does. We just allow God's Holy Spirit to work through us yeah. and resist temptation to do his will. It's by his power, not our own. And we use words like surrender and mm-hmm. die to self and abide. What a passive word, abide. Mm-hmm. Yes. My job is to abide in the vine of Christ. Well, and it's rest in Christ. Right? Rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, yeah. you know, take my yoke upon, rest in me. Yeah. And, and, and we just find that all through the scripture. So it's resting uh, in his power, not resisting temptation by our own personal power, You're but sunk. by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. That's okay. Right. On what page 167 in the margin you wrote, and this fits right in with it, the Christian life isn't just trusting in God, it's trusting in God only. Yeah, that's right. Only. Which means it really isn't a co-op. It's not a partnership. It's me dying to self. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat dies, it just remains a seed. Mm-hmm. But if it dies, then, then it can give forth the harvest. Well, he's referring both to himself, Doris, in terms of the Son of God needing to die in order to bring a harvest of souls to him. Mm-hmm. God was in him reconciling man to himself. But it also refers to the believer. I have got to die to my agenda, my hopes and dreams, my I want this and I want that. Well, and let's because go. Let's go a little further. You have to. It, it's. It's the, the. In other words, you don't trust in God and then trust in the church too. Yeah. Or trust or in, in the prophet. Or, or in my or ability in yourself. to. That's right. No self righteousness. Good point. Good point. No self help. No, uh, a complete loss of self. Jesus said, "If you, if you, if you love your life and and you're standing in this life, you'll lose it." This is totally foreign hate, to any Mormon mind. Well, it's right there in canonized they, they, scripture. They, last time I checked, they think that they think we're talking nuts when we say that. That they, we've got to do our part. They say. Yeah. Well, if they would read one quarter of their standard works, which is the Holy Bible, they, they would see that it's right there. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. Canonized scripture. I absolutely agree with you. Standard work. Works is a huge <laughs> issue. We've been talking about that. I want to read now Ephesians chapter 2, mm. verses 8 through 10. The linchpin. Uh, <laughs> it is book. a linchpin. Yeah. It's the only way. Uh, works is not the way to please God at all. But so critical. But uh, but Ephesians 2, 8, it, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 puts works last. And I'm going to quote those verses. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, this is a very difficult concept in the minds of anyone that is in any of the Mormon faiths, whether it's mainline mm-hmm. or, or polygamist. Uh, what does it mean that we apply the concept of this to this, starting at the finish line. It, it may just be a matter of chronology, because ultimately, uh, uh, most Mormons would say, yeah, I'm saved by grace uh, through faith. Uh, and then, of course, you got these works here. What, what Paul clearly says here, we are saved by grace through faith. But once we're saved, then, as, as um, gosh, was it uh, Martin Luther that said, uh, we, we are saved by faith alone. 
But but saving faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by oh, verse ten, follows. good works. Mm -hmm. What are we saved for? In order to bring forth fruit, which really is obedience to God to bring glory to God, but also in, because of the way we live our lives, it attracts attention of those that are non-believers. They look at us, they look at our peace, our joy, our energy, our love for life, our love for eternal life, yeah. and they say, I want what you have. Could you tell, I had a, a dental assistant a few months ago, she said, she came to me, she was crying, she said, Dr. Wallace, you know God, don't you? Oh, and wow. I said, uh, I sure do. And she says, I need him, and I uh, oh, whatever wow. you have, I, I want. I mean, it's just I, I, I it just was such a beautiful moment. Awesome. I thought, wow, I guess I bring a, a passion and a joy that was because I never said a word to her. I've never preached anything to her, hmm. but sure. but as it turns out, I kind of did. Wow. Very gratifying. That, and it, that that's God is. working through me. There's no way that's me, Doris. I'm not good enough to bring someone to God. Mm -mm. No. I I understand that. You you start a discussion on sin, forgiveness, and repentance. Um, and although the polygamous groups do not recognize LDS leaders right. uh, and their writings, they do listen to them sometimes, although they don't think they're authoritative. Okay. But uh, Spencer Kimball wrote a book, Miracle of Forgiveness, and many people, including yourself and me, and that book drives me crazy. Yeah. But they say it's actually a miracle. After reading the book, it's a miracle if anybody can be forgiven. <laughs> forgiveness is not a multi-step process. It's a one-step. That's what, that's what the Apostle John said. If we confess our sins, First John, First John 1, I think, if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us. Yes. Yeah, so it's a one-step process. One step. God already knows your sin. And we only go to one person. Yes. And confession just means, God, I recognize that you, you are holy and perfect, and I messed up. I acknowledge it. Please help me to live for you. Forgive me for what I've done. And thank you, thank you, thank you that Jesus paid thank for it on you, the cross. Thank you, thank you, That's true. Okay, we've only got about a minute left. Now, let's talk about freedom in Christ for that minute. If you want to, sure. uh, you know, what, what you've learned about that. And, well, uh, and, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not the freedom to do whatever I want. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, I, I, I've never loved God more than I do right now. And I've never desired to obey him. Uh, I look at some of the things I did when I was LDS and I go, man, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing those things now. Yeah. So there is a freedom, uh, in a sense, we, we uh, the only freedom we have, Doris, is to choose our master. Uh, uh, Paul says you are either a slave to sin mm -hmm. or you're a slave to righteousness. Now, now what's it going to be? But you are a slave. This idea like, whoa, I'm free. Yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're at least pinned down by death. You know, this life does end. We don't have the freedom to go out and sin and, 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 uh, do all kinds of crazy things just because we're Christians. That no, and the beautiful thing is this. Means. When God's Spirit lives within you, and this may seem a little radical, and I'm just making this up, except okay. to say we that to... when the Holy Spirit lives in me, God the Holy Spirit, and when I obey God by that Spirit, in a sense, it's God obeying himself through me. Through us, all right. Does that okay. make sense? Yeah, and, and again, we wound down. Thank you again. Thanks for Thank writing you, the book, and thanks for coming. Sure. And when we start at the finish line, we begin where Jesus left off, and he left off at the point of saying, it is finished. Mm -hmm. He worked for our eternal life. It's guaranteed. It's finished. Adding to his work is impossible. Trying to equal his work on our own behalf is impossible. He bought our souls with the price of his blood. Jesus said, our work is to believe just to believe that's our work and that for many people that is work so we urge you to start at the finish line and to stop with your works to try to earn God's favor salvation has been finished for us to tell us die but we must believe it we must accept it and all we have to do is say thank you and rest in Jesus Amen. see you next time on polygamy what love is this 
This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.